Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to a very special episode of the Earth 2 Podcast, your weekly show that chronicles the origins and development of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. It's the summer of 1971, listeners, as the crow flies. And this week we're doing part one of the 1971 Justice League and Justice Society crossover. Part one being issue 91 of the JLA, published on the 8th of June 1971. It's quite a special, unique crossover, this one. It has a quality that none of the others really share, and you pick up on that very quickly as Peter describes the cover. Yes, we're still at that strange period where there's not really a proper DC logo. In the top left-hand corner, we have a kind of a shield with an eagle, I would say, on top. Mm. And on the across the eagle's wingspan, it says DC. And underneath, on the actual main part of the shield, it says Justice League of America. And to the right of that is the Justice League of America logo shield. Yay! At the very, very top, it says only 25 cents. Bigger and better. Yes, there's nothing to qualify it as a 52 page or 48 pages, don't take less. But listeners, we have an episode planned where we talk about, we're going to talk about this whole 25 cents bigger and better and why it happened and all that sort of stuff and some other things that we're theorising about and things. But don't worry about that. Anyway, back to you, Pete, Thank you, David. Below the <laughs> shield, we have the main image of the cover. It's Batman. He's emerging from the Justice League of America transporter ship onto the satellite. In his arms is the limp body of the Flash. And his uniforms and tatters, Batman says, Flash is dead. Which of us will be next? And reacting in shock are Superman, the Atom, Green Lantern and Hawkman. Gasp. Yes, it's great. We don't see the Atom's face. We only see him from behind. There's that little (laughs) burst around his head. And it looks like Superman and GL are swirling round. And I love the way Hawkman's sort of mask is sort of shaded. Mm -hmm. You know, so that slightly... Late era Kubert sort of Don Heck sort of style. Yeah, it's really nice. And there's a single tear coming from Batman's right eye, which is they are. very emotive. It is indeed. Yes. Um, I think we should have a minute's silence for the flash. That's enough. Mm-hmm. Now, down either side, we have the roll call for the issue. On the left hand side, we have the roll call for the Justice League of America, and it's Superman, Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, The Atom. Special guest star, Robin. And down the right-hand side, we have the roll call for the Justice Society of America, which is... Superman. Flash. Green Lantern. Hawkman. Atom. And special guest star, Robin. Ooh. So, have you clocked it yet, listeners? What makes this one special? It's an identical lineup for both teams. Fantastic. Gosh, Willikers. It's decades since I first read this story. Mm-hmm. And removing all the preparation that we've done in advance and all sorts of things, looking at that cover, you can't help but think all of the counterparts teaming up, that's going to be the best thing ever. Yes. All the scenes of them interplaying and interacting with their counterparts, uh-huh. the other versions, this is going to be amazing. Yes. So, the bar is set high. Yes. Uh-huh. We'll see if it if it follows through in the potential. Mm-hmm. This is our 27th Neil Adams cover. Okay. And it's a cracker. I think it's the lettering more than anything else. This has always mm-hmm. struck me because the lettering is very similar to the GLA GSA team up cover from a couple of years ago with you know, with a kid with a lamppost smashing. Uh-huh. The lettering, as I've always in my head seen this as a Joe Kubert cover. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The lettering is a big part of it. The presence of Hawkman obviously is another part of it. It's very stark, very simple, very effective. I wonder what happened to the Flash. <gasps> Let's find out. Yes. Our opening page 
Tiny Caption tells us the stories by Mike Friedrich, the art by Dick Dillon and Georgie Ella, and there's also a Justice League of America logo. And the caption for the first panel is very self-explanatory. The Sanctuary, satellite of the Justice League, 22,300 miles above the Earth. Yep, see that little wheel in space hovering, and then we move inside. The next caption says... Present. Green Lantern, Atom, Superman, and Chairman Hawkman. Hawkman is wielding a gavel and saying... Absent with leave, Black Canary and Green Arrow. Absent without leave, Aquaman. Green Lantern remarks... The Seeking must still be miffed at his landlubbers for that tragedy that hit Atlantis. And there's a little star which leads us to a footnote that says... As recounted in last issue's Plague of the Pale People. She point out that Atom Ray Palmer is sat on Hal Jordan's shoulder. That's a great little detail. I love it. Superman contributes to the conversation. We should have received word by now from Batman in his search for the missing Flash. And another little asterisk takes us back to the same footnote which says... As recounted in last issue's Plague of the Pale People. Well done, Peter, for handling that alliteration in only one take on <laughs> each occasion. Well done. There you are. Or I could just edit in the same one. No, you know. I don't know. Anyway, very timely as Superman says that, we get the caption for panel three. Just then... Hawkman tells us what's happening. Someone beaming up on the teleporter. Yes, we see the teleporter lighting up. This this first page is like a, a 60s episode of Doctor Who style reprise of the, the end of the previous issue, yes. you know. Roughly the same camera angles, the same mm. actors present, slightly different performances. The Atom is still standing on Green Lantern's shoulder, and look, Green Lantern's chest emblem has disappeared. So it has. The Atom points and exclaims, Signal indicators show it's Batman! And sure enough, in panel four, just like on the cover, Batman emerges from the transporter tube, cradling the limp body of the Flash, whose uniform is in tatters. Superman is appalled and exclaims, Flash! And the Green Lantern says, He looks dead! And Batman says, Justice Leaguers, we have a super crisis on our hands. Bam, bam, bam. Cue opening title theme music. Over to page two, and we're greeted by some, some large words floating in space that read, Earth, the Monster Maker. Gosh, these words are dissected by a small red spaceship that flies past. And there's a caption, regular caption, that says, Gaze now upon the in-between, that blind spot in the cosmos, which is the connecting link between nowhere and somewhere, between no time and some time. To journey here is a voyage of deadly danger. It is a mission of extreme necessity or extreme folly. And we're now inside the spaceship and we see that it's been flown, piloted by two aliens who have yellow skin, where Purple and orange, all in one sort of unitards, they've got orange gloves. Purple headdresses that remind me in a way of when Wesley Dodds got his new costume back in the day. Mm-hmm. Very exaggerated features, wide eyes, big wide ears. And each of them is accompanied by a small, if I said a cartoon anteater. Aardvark. Aardvark, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's a better, probably a better way. Yeah, what was the aardvark? Better way of saying that, actually. Pink with blue spots and sort of metallic collars and stuff. One of them, as closest to us, is saying... Some right joy this is. I never realised the dimensional in-between was so rough. These warp effects are unpredictable. And his friend is pointing out of the, the window of the rocket to outside, and he's saying, Skyer, look, your kid brother, Arim, and Teppy, his pet, have been sucked through the hold. Well, that's terrible. And we cut outside the, the space rocket in the next panel, and we can see what looks like a much younger one of these aliens Tethered to his pink and purple aardvark, is indeed floating out in space. Blast, Arim and his curiosity! 
I told him to stay away from that faulty lock. Arim, watch out! Arim looks totally panicked, and to be honest, that's some big brother negligence. You should have nailed him down and told him, anyway, what are you doing to... Anyway, yeah. The next panel, Arim and Tepe, well, it looks so they're vanishing, it looks like they're fading out. There's a burst of energy surrounding them, and from inside the spaceship, once again, Skyer cries, Too late! A warp has snapped their lifeline! Disappearing, being hurled into separate dimensional worlds. And sure enough, we can see there's a little burst of energy there that I missed on the first looking there. It shows that the, the ropes have snapped and they're vanishing. Back inside the spaceship now as M.A.S. cries, This was your bright idea, Skya. Taking your brother along, you're really in trouble for losing the kid. Don't I know it, Inez? Our ragtag computer will trace them eventually, but unless Arim and Tepe are brought together soon, it's death for both of them. Oh my goodness. Well, we arrive at top of page three now. Caption there for the first panel says, An alien lad and his inseparable pet. Innocent, playful, mischievous, no different than other such duos throughout the universe. Yes, it's a nice shot of Arim and Tepe. Arim looking very like Wesley Todd's, it must be said. (laughs) Panel 2 is a nice, beautiful shot of some countryside, basically, with some rabbits and some deer and some nice humans watching them, and there's a caption that says, On Earth, animals and plants have formed a life partnership, each supplying the other with vital oxygen and carbon dioxide. Panel 3 on this page, a nice shot of Tepe and Arim having a hug, as the caption says, On Arim's world, however, a human and his assigned pet must stay in the physical presence of each other, forming a sort of symbiotic relationship in which each is necessary for the other's survival. That says an awful lot about attachment styles there, doesn't it, listeners? Panel 4 is captioned. Should Arim and Tepe be separated for more than 37 and a half Earth hours, each would suffer a horrible death. And this panel shows them both hurtling away from each other through the dimensional void as another caption continues. As the distraught Skyer feared... Boy and pet have been flung into different dimensions, but onto similar worlds, both bearing the name Earth. Can you see where this is going, listeners? We reach the bottom of page three now. We see Arim scaring a a deer and a squirrel and a rabbit, and that panel's captioned. Already the critical 23rd hour has passed, and the alien separation has initiated within them physical and mental changes. And so similarly, in the next panel, we see Tepe chasing another couple of small rodents and being hassled or frightening a bird, breaking down some trees, and that panel's captioned. In their desperate search for reunion, each lashes out insanely, violently, innocently, laying waste to Earth 1 and Earth 2. Gosh. Listeners, if you're reading along at home, you're going to love the next page almost as much as we do. First caption name for panel four says, Earth 1 and Earth 2, parallel planets less than a heartbeat apart, but more than a universe away. He's writing lyrics here, isn't he? It's Mike Friedrich, what do you think? Um, <laughs> great shot. Which, at this juncture, we haven't had too often. No, we haven't this in ages, yeah. Shots of the two Earths sort of hanging in space, almost separated by the blue burst of energy. It's like, those were almost boy band lyrics. You can imagine Blue or Steps <laughs> or even late era Spice Girls coming out with that, circa 1999, 2000. You less than a heartbeat apart, but, but more than, than a universe, universe away. away. <laughs> anyway. Hey, Pete, have just a great idea. Let us form a band and set some of Mike Friedrich's captions to music. <laughs> Listeners, Listeners, can you... Do you play instruments? <laughs> <laughs> can you play a musical instrument? Right into the podcast and let us know. So, we continue. Massive big caption for the next panel. 
In many instances, their planetary development has been different, but in many more, it has been the same. <laughs> On Earth 2, the world's greatest superheroes have banded together as the Justice, Justice Society, Society of America. America. You might recognize some Earth 1 counterparts. Yes, and great panel actually showing the Earth 2 heroes that we're going to see in this story. All vaguely just sort of either running or... It almost actually looks they're all going to collide with each other yes. if they're not too careful. Running, jumping, flying. Yes, standing still. Mm. So, clockwise then from top left-hand corner, we see half a dozen heroes and they're all captioned like so. Superman. Clark Kent, editor of the Metropolis Daily Star. The Flash. Jay Garrick, research scientist. Green Lantern. Alan Scott, radio TV executive. Robin, Richard Grayson, grown-up ex-partner of the semi-retired Batman. The Atom, Al Pratt, college professor. Hawkman, Carter Hall, jet-setter and scientist. It feels like we haven't seen Jay Garrick for ages. Obviously, it's not been that long because he had that short battle with, with the fiddler, fiddler yes. as the crow flies. But we haven't seen Al Pratt for a very long time. No. I think he had a tiny cameo in the last GLA-JSA story, but yeah. hopefully he'll get some lines this time. I do like the description of Hawkman as Jet Setter. Yes. That's very good. Jet Setter and Scientist. And we should point out that at this point, the Earth 2 Robin is still wearing that controversial costume that is a blend of mm. the Batman, still in the Batman uniform and the Robin costume, which is essentially the Batman uniform but with a yellow cape and a, an R stuck in the middle of the Batman logo. Peter and I are almost unique in comics fandom in that we quite like this costume. Yes, yes. It's quite fun. I think it's brilliant, quite frankly. I'm, to this day, I'm still annoyed that DC Direct didn't do an action figure of it in 2003. Anyway, it's going to take us ages to get through this. Damn you, Mike Friedrich! <laughs> Bottom of page four, there's another caption. And at the regularly scheduled meeting of the Society... Yes, we see Hawkman, Superman, The Atom and Jay Garrick Flash. Hawkman is saying, The remaining absentees must be involved in personal matters, Superman says. Like Green Lantern, he's sending us a distress signal. And little Al Pratt, who's been in his second costume, his second uniform here, which is the finhead one, he says, Good, let's get going. This meeting was turning into a drag anyway. Yes, we can see as Superman points, there's a sort of flashing green light in the corner. Al Pratt's speech bubble kind of covers it up, but not to worry. We arrive at the top of page five, a caption says, An emergency signal calls for a super speed response. Yep, and we see Soups and Hawkman and Jay and the Atom arriving to find Robin with Green Lantern. Green Lantern costume looks a bit torn and damaged. There's some broken tree trunks lying around. I wonder what's going on here. As Hawkman descends to the ground, he says, Green Lantern, what happened? Looks like a tornado hit you. Big Alan says, Yeah, a tornado in the form of a kid. A sweet, innocent, lovable kid. And Alan narrates the next couple of panels, in that style we've become accustomed to, of disembodied head next to the caption. After Robin and I wrapped up a case near here, I decided to take a solo side trip to check up on Slaughter Swamp. When, and we see, shot of G.L. Alan Scott, with his ring on his left hand, pay attention contemporary DC comic artists. Honestly, listeners, have you seen one of the variant covers for this new Justice Society series? It's a shot of purportedly Alan Scott Green Lantern, flying gracefully in, ring on his right hand. Nonsense. What's going on? Anyway, I wanted to mix it up a bit. <sighs> Stuff like that just keeps me awake at night. But anyway, Green Lantern Alan is looking down at Aram, who's basically looks like he's doing some karate chops on some tree trunks. Alan thinks that an overgrown kid seems lost, frantically trying to smash his way out. Alan's narration in the next panel As I swooped down to help him, he turned on me with a raging snarl. Aram cries, I tell he sense you can bring Teppy to me. And it looks like he swipes at GL and catches part of his uniform. Alan continues to narrate. With that, 
he attacked me with surprising stupendous strength. When we returned to the present and Alan is sat, his face shrouded in darkness here is very, very effective. We're going to be spoiled for choice for panels to put in the socials this week, listeners. GL is saying to the assembled team, When I came to, Robin was here, but my power ring was gone. That's why I signaled you, Hawkman says. Shouldn't be hard to track down your attacker. Flash says, But I advise you to go back to headquarters and recuperate. And Robin chips in with, Use my Robin Clipper to get there, GL. I'm sticking with the JSA. We're all sticking with the JSA, aren't we? Yes. Thumbs up, listeners. Your two podcasts, sticking with the JSA. We're giving thumbs up to the camera for the benefit of our YouTube viewers. Final panel on page five. Alan is standing almost like, looks like he's crying actually. <laughs> obviously he's rubbing the back of his neck. He's still obviously in discomfort. Superman and the Atom in the foreground. Hawkman, Robin and Flash marching in between them. Hawkman is saying, Hmm, I suppose so Robin, since you're here, you may as well join us. Fill in for Batman. You forget, Chairman Hawkman, I've been accepted as a full-fledged JSA member. And then he thinks, Man, what a patronising attitude. Generation gap strikes again. And this brings us back to the conversation we had when when this version of Dick Grayson first appeared in the podcast mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. That by this point, 1971, yeah, Dick's going to be what late thirties at least at the youngest. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so it's kind of weird that they still more likely to be early forties to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I think I've told the time before. Like you know, any time I go go along to the church with my mum on a Sunday, and I'm you know I'm fifteen a couple of months listening. The, the little old ladies and little old men that are still with us at the church, they've known me since I was born. So as yeah. far as they're all concerned, I'm at the most about 15. Yep. You know, so it's probably a similar thing, I think, that Robin faces mm-hmm. here. You know, every, yeah. these aunties and uncles almost who still think of him as yeah. a little boy. There's a comic shop owner that I've been going to since I was like a teenager. And he always used to call me kids. And still every time he sees me, he calls me kids. It's, uh, <laughs> it's great, so, though. Yeah. I mean, Stephen Cumley still calls me big boy. There we are. Uh-huh. Anyway, so it's back to Earth One now. As we turn the page to page six, Captain for our panel says, Leaving the sulking Robin, we return once more to Justice League headquarters. Yep, Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, Hawkman and the Atom all in attendance. The Flash have been placed inside a transparent glass tube by the looks of things. Batman is saying, I found the mauled Flash north of Gotham City. The Atom is saying, The readings on the Thanagarian metabolic reviver are turning positive. The speedster is going to make it. Just then... Quite looks on in this panel. Green Arrow and Black Canary are emerging from the transport tube as the Flash has suddenly woken up and zoomed off. Canary says, Oh, what's all the commotion? Batman observes, Flash is going, running, wild! Captured for panel three. Newly arrived, Black Canary and Green Arrow watch in stunned amazement as... Well, very helpfully, the Man of Steel explains what he's doing when he says, Caught up to him! Ah. He's conked out again. He's caught Flash, who appears to have collapsed. Hal Jordan Green Lantern observes, Flash started to say something, but so fast it came out garbled. Next panel, Superman's laying Flash down on a table surface. It doesn't look as though it's the same thing he was lying in. Everyone crowds around as Superman says, My super hearing cut enough to hear Flash mutter alien monster. You Carthage. The Atom looks down at the Flash in the next panel and says, You Carthage? That's where... Hawkman interrupts him, saying, Hudson University is. And Batman concludes. And Dick Robin Grayson. Gosh. Caption of the final panel on page six. Suddenly. Yes, the Atom points and says, It's Aquaman. On the alarm, using the special emergency call for Batman and Green Arrow. Guess he got over his mad. Obviously, that's another reference to the previous issue. issue yes. Jinx, which we didn't read. Listeners, I would encourage you to go and read it because I think it's the one I was talking about ages ago that had a little bit of... Stuff for the Batman, Green Arrow, Black Canary triangle. Yes, that's right. Yes, go and read your, your copies of issue 90. Hawkman then says, That means a split up. Batman, Arrow, respond to Aquaman's call. 
The rest of the team will take off on a monster hunt around New Carthage. And we see Batman making his way to the transporter tube. And everyone else falling behind him. Green Arrow observes Black Canary as she says, I'll remain here with Flash in case he revives again. Well, that's very good, isn't it? How smash the patriarchy, eh? Blooming Mike Friedrich. Yeah, no, someone has to stay in monster duty, but Mike, come on, someone yeah, else could have done it. Exactly. Why not Ollie? He hasn't said anything yet. In fact, I don't think Oliver's got a single line at all, which is hilarious. I didn't get any lines in this episode. What's going on? So, Black Canary, she's going to keep an eye on the Flash, as we say. So we, we're we still only on page seven, listeners. Caption for the first panel there. Nearing the countryside, surrounding Hudson University. You see Green Lantern, Superman, Hawkman flying above, as we see Robin in the foreground, and he's on his motorbike. Green Lantern observes. Down below, Dick Grayson. Superman says, in Robin action. Panel 2 is captioned, After making contact. Oh, is he quoting You Bowed Down by Roger McGuinn and Elvis Costello there? I don't know. Yes, they've obviously stopped the, the motorbiking, and we can see that the Atom is also with them. I couldn't really, can't really make him out in panel 1 of this page. I think he might still be on Hal's shoulder. It's not too clear. Hmm. But anyway, Hawkman, Atom, Green Lantern, and Superman all stand around as Robin is saying, while in a case, and an asterisk takes us straight away to a caption that says, As detailed in the August Batman, Vengeance for a Cop. Yes, you can look that up, listeners, because we're not going to tell you what happened in it. Robin continues, I heard Ranger radio reports of a marauding monster, so I pulled out my cycle and headed this way. Superman replies, Where was the monster's last reported sighting? Nice close-up of Robin in panel 3 as he points and says, Over that hill rise, about 20 miles. Might as well stash my bike and hitch along with you. Then, is it so frequently duplicated on the Twin Earths? Yes, Hawkman takes to the air, bearing Robin in his arms, saying, Well, long as Batman isn't here, you might help out a little. Robin doesn't look too happy, and another caption says, And though unspoken, the Robin anger is precisely the same. The final panel, then, of page 7, shows the JLLs all flying along, the Atom still perched on Green Lantern's shoulder, and GL looking exactly as I remembered him as a kid, which is glorious to see. Soups observes, Phew! Look at that destruction. Trees scattered like matchsticks. And we can see a lot of verdant damage. Green Lantern reacts to a flash from his power ring and says, Hey, what's my power ring zeroing in on? In the first panel of page 8, he continues, It's tuned in on a strange force. Weird vibes, like a, a link or a bond. Seems to be channeled into Earth 2. That's astonishing. The readout that he must be getting. It's like the way Jodie Whittaker's doctor looks at a sonic screwdriver and <laughs> reads off ten pages of text. Yeah. That's fascinating. Superman isn't too pleased at this development as he contributes, Oh no, not again. Another super menace that simultaneously threatens both our Earths. The Atom, who's balanced in Green Lantern's wrist at this point. Great use of the Atom and what you can do with him. He remarks, You better contact the Justice Society through your ring, GL. And then the caption for the next massive panel, and only in page 8, says... Communication is established between the two justice groups, and... Yeah, it's a weird one here. It looks like some sort of void has opened up. There's a burst of white bleeding into sort of bluey-green energy, and the members of the Justice Society that we saw earlier on are hovering in mid-air above the jailers who we've just seen. As they arrive, J. Garrick's Flash says... We were just on our way to fight our menace! And the Atom of Earth 1 says... It'd be scientifically more sound for your Superman, Adam and Flash to come here to handle our monster, while our GL, Hawkman and Robin, join your Hawkman and Robin in going after the boy Menace. So they've obviously had a massive big recap <laughs> off camera here, yes. very quickly, about everything that's been going on. Uh -huh. hmm. I would like to know the science behind this. Yes. Anyway. Superman of Earth 1 then pipes up with playing a hunch, Adam, or a theory. And then Hal Jordan's Green Lantern says, 
My ring should be able to handle the crossover, provided everyone adds his willpower to my own. Final caption of page 8, which shows all the heroes flying all over the place, is captioned. The body-wrenching experience of crossing the in-between is matched by the combined determined will of ten heroes. We should point out that the chest symbol on the Superman of Earth 2 that we see in this large panel on page 8 is veering towards the sort of recognisable one that they start using for him. Mm-hmm. The, the sort of two goldfish swimming in opposite sides yes. that John Byrne talked about. Uh-huh. They're not as defined. It looks a little twisty of an S. We'll have to see how that progresses, see if we get any mm-hmm. a, another good look at it. Let's remember that Alan Scott and Barry Allen are both out of the equation at this point, so this is very interesting. Will we see Hal Jordan teaming up with G. Garrick? That'd be a lot of fun. So yes... Final panel of page 8 shows all the heroes splitting up and flying back and forth for whatever reason and we arrive top of page 9 and that's captioned Until now, Arim had led a childishly innocent life. Never before had he ever experienced the longing, the craving, the grasping for the pet which sustains him. Yes, it's a shot of Arim looking very unhappy and disorientated as he walks amongst a bunch of broken tree branches and tree trunks. There's a lot more captioning for the rest of this page. Next panel. But now, on this alien world of Earth 2, Arim has instinctively sensed power. The power of Green Lantern's ring to reconnect his broken lifeline. For a brief moment, a weak contact had been made. The very contact picked up by the ring of Earth 1's Green Lantern. Yes, it's a shot of Arim in panel 2 here, looking at Alan Scott's Green Lantern ring, which is lighting up. Obviously connecting with Hal's that we saw earlier on. Panel 2, Arim's kicking some stones because he's unhappy, the caption says. Being unfamiliar with the trained, delicate operation of the power ring, Arim reacted just like an angry kid. Yeah, the next panel is captioned. Shoving the ring into his pocket, the confused boy cannot understand this world where he has become so strong, so swift, so destructive. Yes, he knocks down another tree, sending some animals scurrying away. Captioned for the final panel of page 9. Nor does the lost lad comprehend the changes that have made him so terrifying to earth creatures, causing animals to fearfully flee from him. Yep, and that's some more beasties just running away. And so we finally arrive at the top of page 10. Thus, when the superheroes track down the menace of Earth 2... Yep, and poor Aiden, bless him, actually sat crying, perched on a tree trunk, and he's thinking... <laughs> Why doesn't someone in this strange place help me? And we see in the background Green Lantern Hal Jordan of Earth 1, who's bearing... The Robin of Earth 2 and Hawkman of Earth 2, who's bearing the Robin of Earth 1 and Hawkman of Earth 1 all arriving. Got it? Yep. Get it? Goods. Capture for panel 2. These newcomers look human, somewhat like himself, yet so different. There is but one thing for Arim to do. Please. It's a tearful shot of the child as he cries and says, Happy, my pet! Take me to him, please! And in the next panel, the heroes have crowded around him. He looks very sort of distraught and upset. They're all leaning in, obviously trying to show some empathy, but there's a problem. Because Hal Jordan says, Strange, my ring can't translate his alien talk. And then Robin of Earth 2 says, Sounds more like a snarl to me. But Robin of Earth 1 thinks, These guys, standing around, talking it over. I'm taking action! And he lunges forward, which obviously frightens Aram, who's... Hands up, looks very panicked. Hawkman of Earth 1 says, Robin, no, wait! And then the caption running out this panel confirms, At last, Arim does understand something. An attack. And how normal to defend himself. Yes, very dynamic panel running out page 10 as Arim grabs Robin and starts pulling at his uniform. Hawkman of Earth 1 says, The young fool. The alien is much stronger. Faster. Hawkman of Earth 2 takes to the air in the first panel of page 11 saying, Robin! Don't you go repeating your namesake's impulsive... No, Robin! No! And 
down on the ground, the adult Robin of Earth 2 is lunging forward to help his counterpart, and he's thinking, The one and only time I fought with the JSA, I helped lick the menace, but Hawkman wasn't there, so I have to prove myself all over again. And in panel 2, Robin of Earth 2 reaches forward and grabs Irem under the arms, and helpfully thinks, Got to get this kid freak off Robin by neutralising his strength with a wrestling hold. Then he cries, Hawkman, grab Robin! And in the background, we can actually see Hawkman of Earth 1 flying down to grab Robin of Earth 1. There's a caption for panel 3. But with Arim's ever-increasing strength, even the skilled Robin cannot stymie him for long. Arim manages to, well, very helpfully, he gets loose as Robin says, uh, He's broken my hold! But helpfully, Hawkman of Earth 2 is on the scene, and he grabs Robin of Earth 2, bears him up into the air saying, It's okay, Robin. I'll get you free. Everyone's up in the air on the next panel. Green Lantern bearing Robin of Earth 1 in a little green capsule saying, Listen, fellas, I don't want to take sides, but my Earth's Robin has been racked up pretty bad, and I elect Robin the Elder to take care of him. So I'm dispatching you both to the Batcave. And he creates a green powering bubble, which bears both Robins away again. That's, you know, at this stage, Robin of Earth 2 is probably going to be older than Hal. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I don't. Yeah. So we arrive now at the top of page 12, and the first caption there says, That move may turn out to be a mistake, GL. Yeah, this panel shows Green Lantern descending back to Earth, but an angry Arim racing towards him, crying, Green Ring, bring me Teppy! And Hal says, Huh? Big Boy must be after my power ring now. And it looks as though in panel two, Arim is pummeling at Hal. Hal's trying to duck down and, and shield himself, as Green Lantern thinks, He's like a mountain lion, but I can't bring myself to fight a kid going under better make my ring invisible oh yes a flash from his ring panel three we see that Aram is grabbing Hal's wrist and he looks a bit concerned upset disappointed almost as he cries no ring ah no teppy I'm I'm starting to feel some empathy for the kid now honestly Mm -hmm. he must be totally panicked he must be terrified they're not really doing too much to try and calm him down off panel one of the hawkmen says he's overpowered the lantern we've got to stop him kid or no kid in the next panel Aram hurls Green Lantern up into the air, crying, Wingmen, attack me! Must get away! Find Teppy! And the two hawks fly down, Green Lantern flying towards him, Hawkman of Earth 1 says, Going to use GL as a weapon against us! Yes, in the final panel of page 12, Cutter of Earth 1 is struck by Hal, and Hawkman thinks, Got me! Before I could wing it! Gosh! In the first panel of page 13, Hawkman of Earth 2 observes what's happening and says, The two of them, KO'd, but at least Hawkman's anti-gravity belt is keeping him aloft! No such luck for GL. And sure enough, you see Hawkman. A great rendering, actually, because it's a, mm-hmm. it's not the biggest figure, but hovering in the background, you know, obviously unconscious, legs and arms straight, but he's still floating in midair. As Hal Jordan plummets below him to the ground, the caption for panel two. Dash madly, Hawkman, faster than a fleeting falcon, save the stricken green gladiator. I hope Hawkman can hear the caption as he flies towards Green Lantern, hopefully to save him. But then the caption of panel three says, But beating wings are only good enough to break the Emerald Crusader's fall. Yes, and Hawkman has managed to get underneath Hal and basically act as a cushion as they both collide to the ground violently. And it looks as though, in a colouring, an amazing colouring error, Green Lantern seems to have developed an extra arm. <laughs> we can see one of Hawkman's feet. Oh no, that's no, not what it is. It's Hawkman's legs. other foot. But yeah. sure enough, one of Green Lantern's gloves has been coloured red. It's very messy. Mm-hmm. Page 13, panel 3. Listeners, look it up in your copies because we probably wouldn't have room to put this on the socials. Final panel in a page 13 is captioned. Leaving only the retreating sounds of a frightened, lonely, sobbing boy. Aram rushes off crying in the background showing the unconscious Green Lantern and Hawkman in the foreground. 
First panel of page 14 is captioned. Call Teppy a monster, but he is a dumb, dumbfounded creature who has landed on a strange planet. Yeah, these first three panels are basically images of Teppy running about, having a terrible time, smashing things up and being very upset. The captioning continues. With every step, every leap, Earthly grows, fall victim to his ever-increasing bulk. With every passing minute, the body changes that monsterize Teppy turn him into a destructive colossus. It must be said at this point, the art is not doing the best job of showing him going to massive size. No, true. We're not really getting any sense of scale at all. Not even as he just smashes into some tree trunks in panel three. However, the caption for panel four says, Then as five heroic figures flash onto the scene... Yeah, we see him smashing down a couple more trees as in the background. The two supermen and the two atoms and the Flash of Earth 2 all arrive on the scene. Caption for the next panel. Suddenly there is recognition of a scarlet-clad speedster. Someone like the Flash he met before, the one who tried to harm him. It's a shot of the Superman and the Flash and the two atoms all standing around looking at Tepe. And it's interesting because Al Pratt's head fin has vanished. Yes, it has. And we do get a, a look at the two Superman's chest symbols here. And yeah, I think they're definitely starting to differentiate them now. Do you see yeah. that? Yeah. Interesting. Mark that one down, listeners. There's a significant one over the page to page 15. And it's a full panel page. That means it's very easy to put this one in the socials. It is captioned. The recall of the hurt. The pain intensifies and, in retaliation, Teppy strikes, strikes back. back. Yep, Teppy lunges out, sending Jay Garrick flying. The two supermen seem to avoid it. And the two atoms stand in the background observing. And yes, I have no idea how this happened, but there is there is no head fin on Al Pratt's uniform on this page or indeed the next one. It's almost like he's borrowed Ray Palmer's spare <laughs> mask or something, could isn't be, it? Could be, could be. That's shocking. In the first panel of page 16, Tepe has grabbed Al Pratt, lifting him up into the air as Jay Garrick Flash observes. Phew! He must come from a Krypton-like world to have the strength to stagger both supermen. Only by a super fast rolling with a punch was I able to minimise his blow. And we see indeed that, not too clear from the art on the previous page, both supermen are down. So only Jay and Ray Palmer seem to be free. Ray Palmer points up saying, he's grabbed Adam. And a caption runs out this very messy panel saying, Spotting one who is small, like it's human, Teppy eagerly lifts him up, but... The vital bond, the necessary lifelink, is lacking. So this leads to panel two. So, naturally enough, the atom is angrily discarded. Yeah, and Al Pratt gets slammed chest down on the ground by the, the raging, scary... Actually, Tepe looks terrifying in these panels. Yes. Now you do get a sense of scale. Oh, mammy daddy. As he climbs to the ground, Al Pratt says... <coughs> he hurt my feelings. Well, I'm glad he's still got his sense of humour. This is cracking the next panel. Al's recovered enough to grab a piece of wood. And he smacks it on Teppy's face, but nothing happens, as Al says. And the same to you. Ugh. No effect. And in silhouette, front of the panel, G. Garrick Flash cries, Adam, keep your cool. The next couple of panels, conversation between Ray Palmer and Jay Garrick, so let's see if I can do my best to keep them separate. The Atom says, Don't sweat it, Flash. I can sympathise with the mite's anger. We bitty guys can only take so much sliding. Jay says, How about a hardened veteran taking a super speed crack at him? I have a better idea. An atomic brainstorm. Listen. Caption for the final panel of page 16 says. With a super speed tailwind. Yes, it almost looks, this is a variation on the old fastball special. Mm. That um, yes, Wolverine uh -huh. and Colossus would get up to quite often in pages of the X-Men. It's obviously clear that Jay, smiling broadly, only Jay does, whirling his arm at super speed and hurling Ray Palmer's atom forward. This is a great panel. I mean, look at the shading on the atom there. That's fantastic. As he goes hurling forward, the atom cries, Watch out, monster baby. Here I come. A tiny caption says we are continued on the second page following. 
Pass a full page advertisement for national diamond sales. No age limit. No finance charges. World's finest military rings. Wow. World's finest military rings. That could be a spin-off. Yes. Anyway, shut up, Davey. First panel of page 17. The atom, shrinking down towards Tepe, cries, Flying light as a feather around his face and bugging him like a bothersome flea. I'm making sure his paws don't sap me. While the tiny titan creates a diversion, the now-recovered superheroes go into teamwork action. Yes, a great shot of the two supermen, Jay Garrick, in that caption. I really quite like that. There's a touch of the Mount Rushmore's, almost. Yeah. But the rest of the larger panel shows the two supermen and Jay whirling around Tepe at super speed, and basically they're digging a hole. In panel three, we see Tepe still standing on a piece of ground, that was left after three super fast guys have dug this. Well, very helpfully, one of the supermen explains when he says, There, he's trapped, and if he should fall into the trench, it'll be too deep to clamber out of. I suggest a couple of us go to Earth too, says his counterpart. There must be some connection between this monster and the alien boy. And then Jay chips in with, I had the same idea, Superman. Follow my lead and I'll show you the way. So, listeners, we hope you're paying attention and can keep up with everything that's happening as we reach the final panel of page 17. That is captioned. Leaving the two atoms and the Superman of Earth 2 to guard the alien animal. Yep, we see Jay and the Superman of Earth 1 starting to... Well, very helpfully, Jay tells us what they're up to as he says, Duplicate my super speed vibrations and we'll break through the dimensional barrier to Earth 2. And the two atoms and Superman watch them going again. Clear shot of Al Pratt minus the head fin and I find that so distracting. He looks from the back there, he looks like a miscolored tarantula or, or Golden Age Sandman. It's really <laughs> annoying. So yes, Flash and Soups of Earth 1 start to vibrate and fade out over the page. Fleeing the five crusaders who fought him, unaware of the two yet to come, Arim rushes blindly through the trees, tears welling in his eyes at his increasing isolation pain. When... Yep, and poor Aram, poor soul, trips over a tree and falls into a large puddle. Perhaps destiny has drawn him to this desolate place called Slaughter Swamp, for all happenings are in some mysterious way connected. Panel 3. A ghostly white hand is pulling Aram out of the water. Caption says... Perhaps he was pulled by the uncanny sense of the thing who dwells here. Caption continues in the next panel... The macabre man-thing called Solomon Grundy. Uh-oh. And listeners, this is probably the right moment to quickly drop in Man-Thing, the Marvel character who we alluded to every time Grundy was called the macabre man-thing. Yes. When he appeared in Showcase and what have you. Mm-hmm. Man-Thing had made his first appearance now. Issue 1 of Savage Tales. It was published on 19th of January 1971. <laughs> anyway, so, right, back to the plot. Yes, Solomon Grundy stands revealed. That awful walking cadaver in his black suit and grey shirt and white face, white hair. He looks down at the crying Aram and the caption says, Not quite an animal, yet possessing human form. This hulk of an inanimate vegetation over the years has gained blockbuster powers. And always it seems drawn back to the swamp that spawned it. And then in the final panel of page 18, the captioning continues. Evidently, there is a natural link between these two, even though Solomon Grundy is hardly a pet. Yeah, we see Aram, the tears sort of stopping, he looks happy, reaching up to hug Grundy. Grundy looks surprised at this. The captioning continues. And for the moment, Aram's tears are ended. Gosh. Arrive at top of page 19. Shortly, when newcomers Superman and Flash arrive... Now, I'm trying to keep up here. So we're now on Earth 2, and mm-hmm. Jay Garrick and Suits of Earth 1 have arrived. Yes. They're standing with the two Hawkmen. Green Lantern Al Jordan is there as well. Obviously, two Robins have been sent off to do whatever it is they're off doing. 
Hawkman of Earth 1 is saying, Kid Colossus gave us all a rough time, but we're in good shape again to take him on. Jay says, Then let's get going. No telling how much more damage he's caused. Besides, Green Lantern's ring is still missing. And that boy's the key. Tracking Arim through his obvious trail. Yep, we see the two Hawkmen and Superman and Green Lantern of Earth 1 flying along. Jay on the ground as they see, well, you can see Arim and Grundy in the ground in front of him. Hawkman observes, Look, more trouble than we counted on. Green Lantern says, The boys with the other lanterns arch foe, Solomon Grundy. Let's hope the marshland monster is not in a belligerent mood. Capture panel three then. When isn't he, Green Lantern? Yes, and the heroes have all landed on the ground. And we should point out in this panel that Hawkman of Earth 2, his helmet or mask has been miscoloured in blue rather than yellow. So it's very, very sloppy. Grundy looks, well, appalled to see the heroes. He stands in front of Aram and says, Boy afraid, hide behind me. You are us. Solomon Grundy still hate you. Fight you again. Kill you all. J. Garrick Flash walks towards them. Final panel of page 19, saying, We don't have any grudge against you, Grundy. We just want the boy. Hal Jordan Green Lantern steps forward at this point, activates his power ring and says, A power ring bubble will put Solomon out of action. And bubble forms around Grundy. As Grundy cries, Rah! A bad green ring? You! Green Lantern! And as we arrive now, at the top of page 20, the first caption says, Having absorbed magical energy from Dr. Fate and powering energy from Green Lantern in previous battles, the Man-Thing allows nothing to withstand his single driving thoughts. We need to watch when they stop calling him. Probably stop calling him <laughs> right after this. That's funny, isn't it? Obviously, the Marvel Man-Thing starts appearing regularly in Adventure into Fear soon after this. Yeah. So basically, Grundy flexes as a burst of gold energy. He shatters the power ring bubble that he was caught in, crying, Me hate Green Lantern! We kill Green Lantern! Hal, we only see the back of his head, but I think he's probably going to be a bit nervous, says, Hmm, can't say much for your vocabulary, but you do make your point. Capture for panel two. Winged wonders swoop in on their prey. Yep, two hawks fly in from above. Hawkman of Earth 1 says, When we last battled Grundy, I was able to lift him up by the hair and make him helpless. Grundy sees them coming, reaches for a handy chunk of wood and says, Birdman attack Solomon Grundy! And he swats them back in the next panel, saying, but you not harm me. You not stop me from killing Green Lantern. Jay Garrick looks as if he's been added as an afterthought to this panel <laughs> on the left-hand side as he thinks, the flying aces trick didn't work this time, but maybe my super speed magic will. However, in the final panel of page 20, Grundy does see Jay coming, swats him down saying, see you coming, no like, and with an uh, his helmet goes flying and the flash collapses. Caption for the first panel on page 21. Meanwhile... Aram is going after Green Lantern. Green Man's ring! It can find Teppy! I must have pets! Bring Teppy to me! And Hal sort of trips forward here. He's thinking... Still too weak to defend myself. Next panel, Superman of Earth 1 finally joins the fray. Grundy looks enormous here. Mm -hmm. And the scale, Superman looks tiny. Maybe it's just a perspective trick, I don't know. Superman takes a swipe at Grundy, thinking... Solomon Grundy's overcome my companions, but he can't be stronger than that alien monster. Stronger even than a Superman. Is this the first battle between Superman and Solomon Grundy? Ever? I think so, yes. Interesting. Mm. That's worth remembering, kids. Make a note of that as well, that we did about the Superman chess symbol, because obviously Grundy becomes quite a recurring villain for Superman throughout the later 70s. It's very interesting. Massive panel rounds out page 21, and it's captioned... But how wrong you are, Superman! Through the swampland savage system surges the energy of magic, your weakness. Oh, Grundy 
punches Superman down. There's no other way for it. Looks actually, he just pile drives him actually. Grundy, massive size, Grundy cries, Me stop you too! And a tiny caption says, Concluded on third page following, which means we pass another advertisement for the folk box now to play folk guitar. And oh, this is the first page I think that we've had of being able to send away for fun things like tic tac toe and pick up sticks and whatever. Anyway, we'll pass that. Chinese we... torture game? What? Yes, but we want to get the story's conclusion, so we'll quickly arrive at the first panel of page 22, which is a shot of Grundy looking mad and saying, Why do you always attack Solomon Grundy? No more! Me take revenge! Grundy lunges forward, grabs Superman, lifting him up, saying, Me kill you all! Kill everyone! And in the final story panel of this issue, he lifts Superman over his head as if to strike him down on Green Lantern, who's on the ground in front of him. Aram standing back and looking concerned. The other heroes are all out for the count. Grundy roars, Green Lantern, you first! Next issue, the greatest heroes of two Earths versus Solomon Grundy, the one and only. Yes, and a very beer tree illustrates that caption. And that's us. Finally, got to the end of issue 91. Wow. Did you enjoy that? I did. Very much so. Very dynamic, but it's overwritten as heck. <laughs> There's some panels there where it's almost just like illustrated prose. Yeah, it's we're definitely well into the Bronze Age now. Yeah, I mean, that's something when we get to some comics in the future, we'll be talking an awful lot about mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah, once the action started happening, I was a lot happier. It, took, it seemed very long-winded and it took a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. The one thing I really don't understand about this issue is why they split across the universes. Why did the team split in that way? It doesn't seem to make any sense. Apart from just to have Hawkman teaming up with Hawkman, Superman teaming up with Superman. Because it Atom seems to teaming up with Atom, Yeah, with it seems to make one side a lot more powerful than the other side, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, sending both Superman and the Green Lantern mm. together. Why didn't they all just stay together and go and get the little boy and take him to the animal? Well, you would think. We wouldn't have had a story otherwise, I suppose. <laughs> one thing that I really like is the teaming up of the counterparts. Having mm-hmm. two Robins together. Great. Seeing the two Hawkmen flying around together is yeah, that's very, cool. very yeah. effective. Uh-huh. That's really cool. We've already had numerous stories where the two Flashes and Green Lanterns have teamed up, so yeah. it doesn't matter too much that we don't see them together at this point. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that'll change in part two. But it's just nice to see the two Atoms working together, because yeah. we've not seen them together since you know Atom issue 36. Mm-hmm. I'm baffled as to why Al Pratt's head fin vanished. Yeah. That's going to keep me awake for the rest of my life. Maybe it just fell off. It's possible. <laughs> I mean, it could be, you know. I want to quickly talk about one of the captions in the bottom of page 18 before sure. I forget. Okay. Because that tickled us a little bit in the reading and the preparation. <laughs> I'll read it out again. Not quite an animal, yet possessing human form, this hulk of inanimate vegetation over the years has gained blockbuster powers and always it seems drawn back to the swamp that spawned it. That's the same panel that refers to the macabre man thing. So yes. references to the hulk and to... um Blockbuster? Yes. Uh-huh. Which obviously ties back loosely to that previous JLAJC team yes. when they were both involved. Yeah. That was quite funny. I mean, I think that's Mike Frederick having a bit of fun there. Definitely. definitely. I think this whole mm-hmm. issue is Mike Frederick having a bit of fun. I think mm-hmm. he was getting a... Touch the verbal diarrhea at points, really. I do think it's a case of every time you get one of these crossovers, the writer, I think, always has a look back at what's come before and thought, what can we do differently? And we haven't really had one where all the counterparts team up. No, we haven't had that at all. And to have Robin involved as well was quite cool. Yeah. But it also kind of really bugged me as well, because surely Earth One Robin would be fascinated at seeing his older counterpart. Yes. And seeing him, the way he's dressed and seeing how he behaves and thinking this could be me yeah i mean maybe they'll get to that in part two mm-hmm. but you're right yeah you think there might have been a at least a reaction uh-huh. from dick 
Because more than anyone else, yeah, they're all adults and used to seeing yeah. their own counterparts. But he's basically looking at a potential future for himself. Yeah, and, and you know we haven't seen Dick Grayson in the podcast, or Dick Grayson as it were, since that Beatles story. Yeah. But he hasn't really popped up too often. No, true. So, it's the world's um, finest early on, but that's unless, it. Unless a conversation maybe took place off panel because they all split up, and then you know, mm-hmm. they have. I mean, obviously they have that horrible bit in page eight when Ray Palmer seems to know everything that's been going on all of a sudden. Yeah. The caption does say communication is established between the two justice groups. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the shorthand, but you can restructure that page a couple more panels to show the conversation and the catch up taking place. I think it's un- just untidy storytelling, but we can only guess that maybe the initial conversation with the two Robins maybe happened off camera sure. as well. Obviously, you know, we've read part two in advance, we know there's a few conversations there, but you make, you make an excellent point. It would have been a really good thing to have flagged up at this point. And I mean, they could have lost half of the next page of. Yeah. Of Aram causing destruction, and mm-hmm. had a couple of panels of the two Robins saying, "Wow, nice to meet you." Yeah, that's mm-hmm. really disappointing that that didn't happen on camera, so to speak. Yeah, I found it interesting that Green Lantern Ring couldn't translate what yes. the alien kid was saying. Yeah, I was very surprised at that. Yeah, because that would be a very short story if he could. I mean, do we know? Are we told which dimension they originate in? Nope. Obviously, they can travel between them. Because they're in this in-between area. Yeah, so maybe it's just because they're from another dimension of the universe. And yeah, it must be. None of the sectors that the Guardians operate in, it's not a language that yeah. exists in any of those. Absolutely, so that's that's exactly what I was thinking. Logopolis, once again. So, um, mm. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's quite a messy in some ways, but in some ways over, slightly overcomplicated. But it's actually, if you, see, you know, I think we're suffering from having to perform it, as yeah. it were. See, if you were just reading it as a comic, uh-huh. it's very satisfying. I mean, the way the Grundy is introduced is very, very well done. It's very well paced. Yeah. There's a real novelty to seeing the, the Superman together and the Hawkmen together, the mm-hmm. Hawkmen flying around together. That's really, really cool. I like the artwork. It seems a little mm. simplistic yeah. for, by some Dick Dillon styles. I think he's really found his, his yeah. niche now. Like I mentioned, there's the dramatic shots of Green Lantern falling mm-hmm. in the sky they look great the creature on the rampage stuff is really really effective There's yeah lots of shots of people flying so obviously he likes having people flying well it means he doesn't have to draw a background it's just sky so that's true there you go. <laughs> he crams a lot in yeah we've speculated in the past that some of these stories might be done under bigger deadlines yeah let's talk about Grundy coming back actually because last time we saw Grundy was in the fourth ever JLA GSA team up that was back in 1966 oh wow okay when he was brought down from that bubble that he was in mm-hmm and it's interesting the references back to Doctor Fate and Green Lantern that, yeah. that he's imbued uh-huh. with magic. That's uh-huh. quite interesting. That shows the fanboy sort of side of things. Yeah. I think that he's paying attention to those details and absorbing magic from Slaughter Swamp as well. That yes, was, yeah, that's fascinating. It is. There's no other word for it. I can't. Mm. I, I don't have anything to add to that because you're right. It is cool. Mm. The whole Grundy Slaughter Swamp thing just fascinates me. And I like as we highlighted that he did fight Superman for the first time there. Yeah, because you know, Crash Test Dummies have that. Have their Superman song, yes. which has a line about Superman not making any money from fighting Solomon Grundy. Yes. It's obvious that <laughs> that Brad or whatever his name is from the Crash Test Dummy said mm. either read issue three hundred and one of Superman or three hundred and twenty odd issue of Superman <laughs> or DC Coins that famous DC Coins yes. presents that was, was mm-hmm. also reprinted a billion times. It's really interesting to see their first proper clash, yeah, as it were, because it's become it's going to become a recurring image, and mm-hmm. we will see Superman and Grundy many more times on the podcast pro rata. In a way, Aram and Tepe kind of reminded me of Baby Kal-El and Crypto because ah, they are aliens yes. from somebody else who come to yeah. Earth and they gain powers on Earth. That's an interesting point. So we don't usually see that. I always like when they put something mm. in like that because obviously that is a major part of Superman's mythos that mm. he goes to another planet and gains these powers. Yeah. But we rarely see other aliens or uh-huh. humans go to another planet and gain and, powers yeah. because of that. That's an excellent point. So I really enjoyed seeing that and that was quite fun. And also I just... 
I really liked how they both are just so panicked because of the symbiotic yeah. nature of oh, these yeah. races. It's like the trills out of Star Trek almost, and that they have their symbiont implanted in them. Sorry, that took my, it's been a long time since I've watched any modern Star Trek. I <laughs> yeah. apologise. And obviously, you know, if, if that's removed, then it's a major shock to the system. I, in my last job, I was in HMV for many, many years, and honestly, the number of lost kids that I helped, mm. especially mm-hmm. on Girl Street, especially yeah. run about Christmas, you'd uh-huh. see it always seemed to be me <laughs> that either dealt with it or spotted them, and I would always yeah. be like, "Are you okay?" Right, you know, and lift them up, and you know, where, who are you with? Where were you? last time yeah there's one day i think i did like help four lost kids not one wow. after the other but in one day it was ridiculous and the parents always say the same thing you shouldn't have wandered off and it's like you should be looking after your kids <laughs> i would i used to always say that well you just maybe keep a better eye on them next time i'm avenging myself all the times that my parents wandered off and left me behind i really got the the empathy with the panicked kids and stuff yeah I, I hope we get a happy ending for them <laughs> i hope that they both don't lie dead in sort of swamp in a puddle in part there two you go. You know, that'd, be, that'd be terrible it's the ending you know we're not expecting but you never know gosh you can say uh-huh. rascally mike friedrich whatever he's called <laughs> so this issue of jla issue 91 as we alluded is 25 cents bigger and better i'll be explaining how all that came about in an episode in a couple of weeks this issue is rounded out there's a reprint of the Our Man backup story, The Our Our Man Died, from issue 7 of The Spectre, which is nice to see again. And that, of course, came out on September 17th, 1968. Yep, nearly three years ago. Always nice to see Rex. And there's another story which is interesting from the point of view that there's a character who's in two panels who looks a bit like the Ted Knight Starman. Yes. And that was reprinted from Mystery in Space, issue 6, which is way, way back. Yes, that's the Knights of the Galaxy feature that ran in Mystery in Space 6, which came out on... December the 12th, 1951. Superb. And the story's called The Day the World Melted. Yeah, it's an interesting story. It's a, a nice shot of the Statue of Liberty looking as though it's melted. So it's good to know that the, the statue will still exist in the 30th. It's another 30th century, Peter. Of course it's another 30th oh, century. are we going to have to do some digging into the Knights of the <laughs> Galaxy to find out if there's any stories we should do? I think we probably... We may have We may to. have to. We may have to. So we'll skip ahead now to the letters page. The GLA mail room from GLA 95. And the first letter says... Dear Editor, this is more like it. After the last couple of issues, I was beginning to have some doubts about the Justice League. GLA 91 laid them to rest, at least for the time being. This issue was a pleasant surprise in more ways than one. First, of course, is the new size. Great! The enlarged magazine is certainly worth the 25 cents. This format is excellent, and I trust it will be continued for a long time, the economy permitting. Then there's the artwork for the Justice League story, Earth the Monster Maker. For some time, Dick Dillon and Joe Giella have seemed to be in a rut. With this issue, they broke out of it, producing what may well be their best art ever. They may have been in part inspired by the script. Mike Friedrich seems to be pulling out of his slump. His story, if not quite of classic quality, was nevertheless enjoyable. Aside from the slight looseness of the plot, the only flaw in this story was in the selection of Justice Society members. It would have been nice if he had avoided straight-down-the-line duplication. Against this, the story had several good features. The GLAers behaved like themselves for a change. No bad sociology and no drawn-out sermons. <laughs> also, in Solomon Grundy, they and the Earth 2 heroes had a foe worthy of their attention. The choice of participating Justice Leaguers was good too. Green Arrow, Batman and Aquaman would have been out of place in this story and were rightly excluded. All in all, a good story. A final thought. How about reprinting a Justice Society adventure as a serial in the back pages of this magazine? And that's from Stephen Barry, no address supplied. Editorial response is, 
Adjust the Society Golden Age is a possibility for a future appearance in this magazine. It's a probability for a forthcoming 100-page Super Spectacular. And listeners, do not worry, we have an episode all about the 100-page Super Spectaculars and the giant format which which Stephen alluded to there. We have one planned very soon, once I finish doing all the preparation and all the writing. (laughs) That'll happen. Moving on to the second letter. Dear Editor, it's been some time since I've written a letter to the Justice League, mainly because its recent stories haven't really been worth commenting on. Uh Uh-oh. Except for his first story in issue 86, Mike Friedrich's stories have been long in action and gimmicks, but short on traditional values. Mm. Very interesting. But now, with the annual Justice Society appearance, Friedrich seems to be finally living up to the fine efforts of his predecessors. I particularly liked his choice of GLA and JSA members. The idea of having the same members on both Earths, even including Robin, was good. Though Friedrich wisely incapacitated Flash 1 and Green Lantern 2, so things wouldn't seem too redundant. Also appreciated was the team-up policy used throughout, logically rearranging the teams at strategic points. That's fair, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Even though Peter's point about sending both Supermen together is still valid. Yeah. But though the heroes were treated excellently, the menaces, open brackets, they weren't really villains, left something to be desired. Somehow the idea of a little boy and his pet, even though alien, being a threat to two entire worlds of superheroes, is a bit too light-hearted for a serious magazine like JLA. It would have been better, and a lot easier to identify with the heroes, if Friedrich hadn't told us any more about the aliens than they knew. Mm. I think he's missing the point. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so too. Probably most of your readers who bothered to comment on the two reprints that rounded out this bigger and better issue will complain that the Our, Our Man Died was too recent. Is that, a, is that a time pun there? I don't know. I'd certainly not complaining. And that Golden Age Our Man story would have been preferable. I can sympathise with this point of view, but I for one really enjoyed this nostalgic reminder of the one successful attempt to revive a GSA member in his own magazine. Although it was one of my favourites, the Spectre was never a very successful magazine and folded after 10 issues. Yes, we miss him. I hope we'll see more reprints from it in the future, particularly Menace of the Mystic Mastermind. Aside from its historic interest, as Friedrich's first story and one of Neil Adams' first efforts for DC, it's a very good story. And that's from Richard H. Morrissey, Framingham, M.A. Editorial response to that one. Correction, please. Mike Friedrich first cracked the story sail barrier with Menace of the Motorcycle Marauders a solo Robin yarn that appeared in the June 1968 Batman. His Spectre story saw print first in the March-April 1968 Spectre, Julie Schwartz. Excellent. The next letter is from someone we won't really be talking about in the podcast, but is a massive name in comics. Mm. And it goes like this. Dear Editor, Mike Friedrich said a GLA-GSA team-up would be a bitch to write. Is that the first use of the word bitch in the podcast? It might be. Gosh, okay. <laughs> and and it must have been. GLA 91 surely looks like it. Earth the Monster Maker has the weakest premise of any team-up story yet. An alien boy is separated from his symbiotic pet and they both go berserk. My first reaction was, not another alien story. In the last 20 issues of the GLA, there have been 15 stories featuring alien races or menaces from space. 15! And to push one's credibility threshold even further, not only did all 15 sets of aliens have evil designs on the human race, they were all humanoid in form. If we must be fed aliens three-fourths of the time, let them at least be varied from each other, and non-humanoid in form and manner. I can't take much more of these imitation humans that are blemishing the pages of my favourite comic magazine. During the relevance craze of the last few years, Supervillains were shuffled out as proper nemeses for our heroes. I believe that supervillains are a lot more palatable than 15 alien races and a lot more believable as well. 
could we at least get back to a mixed diet? And that's from Mark Grunwald from Wisconsin. Fantastic. Mark Grunwald, God bless him. Yep, Mark Grunwald, absolute legend in the comics industry. I absolutely adore his Captain America run. He did Quasar, he did tons of stuff for Marvel. Squadron Supreme, that was him. Squadron Supreme, of course. course. I mean, he's no longer with us, Mark, but, you know, God bless you. He makes some really good points there. I mean, in a way, he's almost echoing your point about every cover of the Flash having a crying Flash on it (laughs) at this period. Yeah, they are in a bit of a rut with the the same sort of But it's it's true, though. Like, Why keep using aliens when the whole point of reading superhero comics is for... Mm -hmm superhero-type characters. Editorial response to Mark says, how do you fare with this issue's diet after... Right, anyway, he's just referring to issue the story of issue 95, not really anything to do with what Mark's actually saying, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I think, to be honest, Mark would have been annoyed because um, my memory of Johnny June is that's another relevant story. Mm-hmm. And as you say, when he did Squadron Supreme, that was his version of the JLA, so we have actually seen what his JLA would be like. Yeah, and oh, do we want to suggest that maybe a member of Scores and Supreme might pop up in the podcast one day? I don't know. Do we you want never know. At least a long, one. long, least long one. way off. Anyway, mm. if it happens, listeners, stay tuned. Aha. The final letter from another big name. Dear editor, Mike Friedrich has taken an old plot of an alien child causing havoc on Earth because he doesn't know any better and has used it to produce what could be the best JLA-JSA team-up in years. There is something about Mike's stories that makes them different. He takes time and space to clear up seemingly minor points and adds extra touches to explain things that might bother the reader. For example, he tells us that the Superman of Earth 2 is the editor-in-chief of the Daily Star. Great idea. He explains why Batman and Green Arrow won't be participating by sending them off to visit Aquaman. Makes a point of showing that even a grown-up Robin is apt to be looked down upon by the older heroes. And that's from none other than the answer man himself, Bob Rosakis, Elmont, New York. Fantastic. Indeed. We're hearing a lot more from Bob as we progress. So that's what the readers thought at the time. But what do you think? Please get in touch. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media because we'll have some lovely bonus material for you, as always. Lots and lots and lots of foreign covers and original art and all sorts of stuff. And Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast and Twitter at podcast underscore Earth 2. If you're feeling generous, you can go to wherever it is you receive your podcasts and give us a nice positive review. That'd be much appreciated. It certainly would. Or you could just tell a friend. Tell a friend about the Earth 2 podcast. Tell someone you think would enjoy it. How much you enjoy it. Yes. And spread the word. Yeah, feel free to, as many of our current listeners do, to, to retweet and share our posts. It's always appreciated. Before we go, we have to quickly jump back to a recent episode which starred Batman and Sergeant Rock. Mm-hmm. If you remember, that story was entitled The Striped Pants War and Peter and I had no idea what it meant. But we've had a couple of listeners get in touch and tell us what it meant. Ted Kilvington on Twitter and... Brian uses the name Enemy of the Shoe on Instagram. They both got in touch to tell us that basically Stripe Pants was a nickname for bureaucrats and diplomats and Ooh, such okay. like back in the day. So it was a fancy way, I suppose, of saying a diplomatic war. There we are. If only Bob Payne had actually put a wee line in to let us know that's what he meant. I know. It would have been very helpful. <laughs> and we might have looked at, I suppose we could have Googled it ourselves like a couple of our listeners did, but we didn't think to. <laughs> So it had nothing to do with the stripe on Sergeant Rock trousers, as no. some people may have speculated. And nothing to do with Kronos or the Trickster, which is a shame. Which is, I imagine really they turned on the last two pages. Ah, when we write our DC comic. Yep, absolutely. Stripe Pants War 2. <laughs> on that bombshell. Yes. I've Peter. I've been David. We'll see you very soon for part two of the 1971 JLA JSA crossover. Until then, take care. You've been listening to... The Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. Final panel of part, platform 7. Final panel of platform 7 again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that takes going to be. <laughs> Take 
79. This is going to be such a maze to edit. 